All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 38. We're studying what's called the Major Prophets segment. You know, we've got 10 segments that we've been going through Revive School. You know, we've been going through, uh, you know, the Pentateuch, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We've been going through the historical books. Uh, then on the New Testament side, we've been going through the Gospels. We've been going through uh, the Apostle Paul's writings, his letters, his epistles. But when we get into the major prophets, here we are in the Old Testament, specifically when we say major prophets, we're talking about Isaiah, who is prophesying about things that he doesn't get to experience. And we're we're talking about Jeremiah, which is what we're in, where he's prophesying uh, things and events that he actually will be experiencing. Kevin, if you want to go to this. And then at the same time, you're going to be getting into later on, uh, you know, in the next coming weeks, we're going to get into Lamentations, which Jeremiah writes about lamenting about everything. And then you also get into Ezekiel and to Daniel. So here you have the major prophets, okay? Four major prophets plus lamentations that we are in. And you know, it's really, there's pretty much nothing uplifting in Isaiah and Jeremiah when you talk about the captivity, you know, but at the same time, remember, they always talk about the deliverance. They're always talking about, yet despite all of this, you're going to have the righteous branch of David. You're going to have, Isaiah refers this to as Emmanuel. You're going to have God intervening into the situation so that you guys can experience true freedom. Now, when you get into Jeremiah 24, we're going to get into 24, 25, maybe, maybe 26 today. <clears throat> Again, you have this constant picture. In Jeremiah 24, remember, Kevin, he's prophesying about the community going into Babylon. <clears throat> so I think it's important in Jeremiah 24, 1, it says this, after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, okay, had deported Jehoiakim, okay, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So <clears throat> here you have Jehoiakim. Now he just said, the king of, Bab- uh, of Babylon, he then deports the son. Okay, everybody with me? He deports the son, the officials of Judah, and the craftsmen and the metalsmith from Jerusalem. And it says, Kevin, where did they take him? To Babylon. Brought them to Babylon. So it's been this, it's, there's a process that's beginning to take place. And then the Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed before the temple of, Lord, of the Lord. So here you have these two, these two baskets, okay? These two baskets, good figs, early figs, but the other basket contained very bad figs, so bad they were inedible, okay? In verse three, here you have, it says, the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs! The good figs are very good, but the bad figs are extremely bad. So bad that they are inedible. Keep going here. In verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me. This is what he said. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Like these good figs, so I regard as good the exiles from Judah that I sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. So he has this good fig section, quote unquote, that he would use to be described as the remnant. Okay, so he's describing two people groups. He says, like these good fruit, uh, good figs, so I regard as good the exiles from Judah. I sent them away from this place to the land of Chaldeans. So I, I'm sending away my remnant even to this place. I'll keep my eyes on them for their good and will not return and will return them to this land. Does that make sense? So there's this group of good figs, two little baskets. <clears throat> yes, I'm sending them into captivity, but I'm going to watch them. 
And he says, when I return them, I'm going to build them up and not demolish them. I'll plant them and not uproot them. You'll hear this language. I'll give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. This is interesting. He says, they will be my people and I will be their God because they will return to me with all of their heart. Now, here's what's interesting. In verse seven, he says, I'll give them a heart to know me. Can you just go to Jeremiah 31, 33? <clears throat> here's what's interesting. We're talking about coming back to him, okay? In Jeremiah 31, 33, our phrase that we have for the book of Jeremiah is new covenant. Okay, in Jeremiah 31, 33, here is this new covenant mentality. He said, instead, this is the, the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. Says the Lord, the Lord's declaration. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So here he is going back into, I think this is really cool, you guys, back to Jeremiah 24, Kevin, if you'll go back there. In Jeremiah 24, what does he say? He says, they're going to want to know me. I'm going to get, uh, their heart is going to want to know me. You see how it ties in? Here it is. But he's going to get to know me because I'm putting a new law on their hearts. This is for the remnant. This is the picture that he has. He says, so this is a group of basket of good figs and they're going to have a new heart. Now, that's the one description if you keep going. But as for the bad figs, so bad, they're inedible. This is what the Lord says. In this way, I'll deal with the king Zedekiah of Judea, of Judah, his officials and the remnant of Jerusalem. Those remaining in this land and those living in the land of Egypt. So here's what's interesting. I wanted to bring this up because by the end of the week, we will see the downfall of Zedekiah. We will see the downfall of his eyes, not even be able to see the land. So all of these components, he falls into the camp of bad figs. And then yet he has his other camp of good figs. Okay, this is the image. The good figs literally are the faithful ones and the bad figs are the ones that he wants to spit out. It's kind of a, a really crazy picture. So basically, the figs represent uh, the 12 tribes. The question is, is who will have a new heart? Who will be a part of the remnant that will mean, remain faithful uh, to him? It does say in verse 9 of, of the bad figs, I'll make them an object of horror and disaster to all the kingdoms of the earth, a disgrace, an object of scorn, ridicule, and cursing wherever I have banished them. It's just a crazy picture. And then finally in verse 10, and then we're going to move on to 25, I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them. You'll hear the same language, you guys, in uh, 38 and 39. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they've perished from the land I gave to them and their ancestors. Kevin, what does that even imply? It implies I've given them land they didn't want. They turned away from me. And what, where did we start, you guys, in Jeremiah 22 with, with, with the family, with the lineage of, of the kings? He, he gave them a chance to return to the Lord. Jeremiah spoke into them. Look, all you got to do is just listen to what I'm saying and you will be saved. The problem is, is they didn't want to do that. And so you have this, you have this image of, of baskets. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that looks like a really good basket. Okay, so I'm drawing basket. Ooh. Longenberger baskets. You guys even know what a Longenberger basket is? <laughs> the largest basket, I think, in America is maybe in Ohio. Anyway, here you have figs. Don't ask how I know weird things like that. Okay, and then, Kevin, these are bad figs. Okay, so you have bad figs, and then you have good figs. Kevin, which one is the remnant? Good. Good. And then what you're going to have on this side, okay, just that you'll see is Zedekiah, okay, and his company. Okay, and these are figs. And they represent Israel. And so here you have this picture, literally of two baskets of figs, which transitions into us 
Um, Jeremiah 25. Now, here's just some backdrop. I'm really thankful for Warren Wiersbe's uh, picture on this. Is that Jeremiah serves, okay? This is kind of, this is kind of crazy. Jeremiah serves for 23 years. 23 years. 23 years. Now, how do we know this? I want to kind of just read through some things. In verse 1 of Jeremiah 25, it says this. This is, is the word that came to Jeremiah. Concerning all of the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. So during this king here, Jehoiakim, okay, the fourth year, uh, he began to speak into the situation. King of Judah was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, then you have at the same time first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so this is how early the stages are. Verse 2 says this, The prophet Jeremiah spoke concerning all of the people of Judah and all the residents of Jerusalem. So Kevin, which kingdom are we talking in again? Southern. So it's almost like uh, this is the back of a baseball card for Jeremiah, right? If you look at the stats, this is his rookie year. This is who he's speaking to. You know, this is his status. I mean, all joking aside, you're going to begin to see his history here. So he's speaking in a Judah and Jerusalem. Then he says this in verse three, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me. Can you believe that, you guys? 23 years of releasing the prophetic. And you know what I want to say? It doesn't seem like he has a great batting percentage. (laughs) It doesn't seem like his percentage of prophecy of being received is very well received. He'd probably come to the plate and everybody would boo him. Boo, nobody likes you. But yet at the same time, he says, I've spoken to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed. For 23 years, 23 years, He's been calling out the good and the bad. But it says most of the people are in the bad camp. (laughs) And yet, there it is again. There's just the few, the remnant. And then he says in verse 4, The Lord sent all of his servants, the prophets, to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed or even paid attention. So, just so you know, my teammates, you know, the Jerusalem prophets... (laughs) You didn't listen to anybody. You know, here you have these prophets, Habakkuk. You know, here you have this this area here, Zephaniah. You're not even listening into, uh, like, let's just take those two. That Like, nobody's listening to us. They're coming to you multiple times. God's sending you his servants, but you're not obeying. Or, I love this one, or you have ADD. You're not even paying attention. What? Did, what? What? Squirrel. God? What? What? Oh, Gavin. Hey. I mean, this is the reality of what we're talking about here. Man, I've talked to you, but even if you're sitting here, you're not paying attention. So here's what he says in verse 5. He announced, turn each of you from your evil way of life and from your evil deeds. Live in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Guys, I just need you to repent. 23 years of repentance. Verse 6, do not follow other gods to serve them and to worship them and do not provoke me to anger by the work of your hands. What would they mean, Kevin, by the work of your hands? So are you, well, the other gods they'd have to make? Yes, absolutely. Here they are making this pagan worship through their false gods. Like, don't make me mad just because you think you're making, you know, your quote unquote gods. Can you go to Exodus 20 for me for a second? Exodus 20, verse 3, 4, and 5. What you'll see is, is verse 3, 4, and 5, Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters 
uh, scripture says, under the earth. And then you must not bow to them or worship them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their father's sins to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. You can just keep it there. And so that's the point. God just says, hey, look, here's the deal. In verse 6 of Jeremiah 25, he says, look, man, I will do no harm as long as you don't make things with your hands. In other words, false idols. You know, it's interesting to me what we're going to get into today is, you know, we're basically halfway through Jeremiah's ministry. And we're going to see by the end of this chapter, Lord willing, this message is really going to be going into two groups today. He's going to go to the Jews and he's going to to the Gentiles. And Kevin, it's the same message. He continues to communicate who God is. And he says in verse 7, but you would not obey me. This is the Lord's declaration. In order that you might provoke me to anger by the work of your hands and bring disaster on yourselves. Look, God told Moses, don't do this. And you guys are completely ignoring the ancestors and the work. He says in verse 8, therefore, this is what the Lord of hosts says. Like, you have to understand how serious this is. Because you are trusting in the work of your own hands, making false idols and not turning to me. Because you have not obeyed my words, he is ready to release verse 9. And verse 9 is something that we've been talking about over and over again, but this is the actual verse that he prophesies. And he says, I'm going to send for all the families of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. And send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, just because it says servant Nebuchadnezzar, it does not mean, okay, that he worships God. It doesn't mean like all of a sudden he's committed his life to the Lord. It just means that God can use truly a pagan king to what? To walk out the will of God. I'm going to use my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring them against this land, against its residents, and against all these surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them and make them a desolation, a derision, and rules, ruins forever. What's interesting is, is how God used Nebuchadnezzar, right? The king of Babylon. He uses the same, same, same mentality with King Cyrus. That Isaiah talks about. God can use men that don't necessarily follow God, but yet use them for his purposes. Please don't mistake that God can use anybody to get what he wants to get fulfilled. And then he says in verse 10 and 11, I will eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them. Can you imagine the prophecy of saying you'll have no joy and no gladness? The voice of the groom and the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. Now watch this in verse 11. This whole land, Kevin, when we say this whole land, what are we talking about? All of Judah and Israel. All of Judah and Israel. You will become a desolate ruin. Man, when I think about ruins, you know what I think about? I think about going to a place and it's just a pile of rubble. Like there's nothing there. There's not like great streets. There's not lights. There's not restaurants. There's no green trees like you literally will become a desolate ruin. And here's what it says. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years, 70 years. The prophecy comes into fruition. He says, "Okay, here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to experience captivity, the Babylonian captivity. For 70 years. And what's really interesting, you guys, is this is a very specific statement on the length. Like this is a prophetic word that not only does Jeremiah talk about you guys, but so does Daniel. Okay, and if you would, would you go to Daniel 9, 2. It's a very specific statement on the length of what's going to take place. Daniel, it says, and remember, here we have Daniel down here as another prophet. Uh, he says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood 
from the books according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. So Daniel is reading what, Kevin? He's reading what we're reading. He's reading exactly what we're, we're reading. And he, he, he brings forth the validity and he says to Jeremiah the prophet that the number of years for desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Kevin, we've got into this. Part of, part of them going into captivity is to give the land what? Rest. Rest. Because what were they not doing? They weren't obeying the year of Jubilee or the Sabbath. The Sabbath every seven years. Uh, they, all of this, and because they were working with their own hands and making their own false idols and worshiping false gods because of false prophets that were coming in. And so because of that image, God says, fine, I'm going to put you there and I need to restore the land. You have completely messed up this whole, this whole thing. And then he says in verse 12, okay, when the 70 years are completed. So Jeremiah is prophesying that the people are going to be in captivity for 70 years, okay? When they're done, I'm going to punish Nebuchadnezzar, quote unquote, or the king of Babylon and that nation, okay? Whoever that would be at that time. This is the Lord's declaration. The land of the Chaldeans for their guilt and I will make it a ruin forever. So the Chaldeans are those that are running Babylon, okay? That's the the image. The land of the Chaldeans, they're going to be actually found guilty and I will make it a ruin forever. So Babylon, Kevin, will what? Be Wiped wiped out. So God's going to use the Babylonians to teach his people a lesson. But then after the 70 years, I'm done with those people. I will make that city a ruin forever. Kind of a crazy picture here. In verse 13, I will bring on that land all my words I've spoken against it. All that is written in the book that Jeremiah prophesied against all of the nations. Okay, so there you have a really unique picture. In verse 14, it says, for many nations and great kings will enslave them and I will repay them according to their deeds and the works of their hands. Okay, in verses 1 through 14, basically what you have, okay, is remember for 23 years, we're at the point of Jeremiah and he's releasing a message, okay? He's been talking to the Jews, correct? He's saying, hey, by the way, 70 years, you're going to be hanging out in captivity. Now he's going to switch gears, okay? Now he's going to start speaking into the Gentile nations. Okay, a a little bit of of a different twist here in verses 15 through 38 to the Jews. He's in verses 1 through 14. Basically, you can conclude that they're going to be there for 70 years. That's what you need to get away, take away from Jeremiah 25, the first half. But now he has what's called, and I like what Warren Wearsby does. He comes up with these eight images to describe judgment that God's going to use on the Gentile nations. Okay, does that make sense? For all the things that they've done to his people, now he's saying, hey, look, they might have 70 years of captivity, but you guys are going to have some issues as well. And so he comes up with these eight images. Okay, we are going to actually try, try to get through these. Okay, number one, one of these is that you're going to experience the cup of wrath. Okay, in verses 15 through 29. And there's this image in verse 16. They'll drink, stagger, go out of their minds because of the sword I'm sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and I made all the nations drink from it. Everyone the Lord sent me to. Okay, so this is really clear. This is the Lord doing this. Verse 18, it says this. These included Jerusalem, the other cities of Judah, its kings, its officials to make them a desolate ruin, an object of scorn and cursing as it is today. Okay, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. His officers, his leaders, all of his people. It's interesting, just so you know, that amongst all of the nations that he says he's going to bring judgment on, the Gentile nations, he starts with Egypt. He starts with Egypt. Why? Because of, look at the past. 
And all the mixed peoples, in verse 20, and all the kings of the land of Uz, uh, all the kings of the land of Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, and all the kings of Tyre, and all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastland across the sea. And then what does he do? He just continues to list these regions. Dida, Tema, Buzz, and all those who shaved their temples, and all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed peoples who have settled in the desert. I think you get the point. All of these people, you guys, that have come against uh, his people, he's now going to make them drink the cup of wrath. Like this is the image that he constantly saying, because in, at the end of verse 26, he says, finally, the king of Shashak will drink after them. Then you are to say in verse 27, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, drink, get drunk and vomit, fall down and never get up again. As a result of the sword, I'm sending among you. You are going to take this cup of wrath. I'm going to give it to you. And then you're not going to be able to handle what I'm going to give you kind of interesting he says if they refuse to take the cup from you and drink you are to say to them this is what the lord of hosts says you must drink now watch this crazy progression okay it says in verse 29 for i am already bringing disaster on the city and bears my name so how could you possibly go unpunished you will not go unpunished for i am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth this is the declaration of the lord of hosts so basically all of the Gentile nations that do not align and support Israel. What does it say, Kevin? You're going to get the cup of wrath. But then he continues on in verse 30 through 38. Again, we're going to go through this a little bit faster. You have another image of a roaring lion. Okay, multiple images of nations against God. Here's another one. As for you, you're about to prophesy all these things to them and say this. And say to them, the Lord roars from heaven. He raises his voice from his holy dwelling. He roars loudly over his grazing land. He calls out with a shout like those who tread, uh, for those who tread grapes. Scripture continues on. Uh, let's actually, it's actually, I, I wrote that too many here. It's just that first picture. The Lord roars from heaven. He raises his voice from his holy dwelling. He roars loudly over his grazing land and he calls out with a shout. It's just 30A actually is what that is. So you have the cup of wrath coming, the roaring lion that's coming. And then at the end of verse 30, it's 30B. Look what it says. Like those who he calls out with a shout. And then it says, like those who tread grapes. What, what else do you have? You have a wine press. <laughs> all those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. These are some pretty powerful pictures of nations. I'm pretty sure these are not good words. He continues on in his fourth image. And we have eight of them here. The fourth image is really, it's a lawsuit. So you went from a cup of wrath to now a lawsuit. And he says this, the tumult reaches to the ends of the earth because the Lord brings a case against the nations. The scripture just says this, he enters uh, into judgment with all flesh. As for the wicked, he hands them over to the sword. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, remember, we even talked to you guys earlier on about figs. Okay, so he says there's good figs and bad figs. He's talking about his own people there. Can you imagine not even being his people, what he's going to do to them? If Zedekiah is not even going to see the land, have his eyes poked out. Imagine if you're a nation against Israel, what he's going to do to you. He continues on in verse uh, 32. And you have four more illustrations here. And Wearsby just says this pretty clear. Another image of God towards the Gentile nations. He's viewed as the storm. In verses 32, 33. Says, this is what the Lord of hosts says. Pay attention. Disaster spread, disaster goes forth 
from nation to nation. A great storm is stirred up from the ends of the earth. Just hang out right there. The storm. And then he says this in verse. I mean, I, I don't know what else to just describe there. He's going to come <laughs> and bring destruction. In verse 33, he says this. Those slain by the Lord on that day will be spread from one end of the earth to another. They will not be mourned, gathered or buried. They will be like manure on the surface of the ground. So here you have the refuse. Isn't that a great image? There's not even going to be uh, funeral services. You see that? They will not be mourned, gathered, or buried. Kevin, when I read this language, where do you go? Where do you think? I just think of a great battle. You know, you don't have time to even uh, care for the dead. Man, it's crazy. Uh, you know, it, sh- it sure seems like, yes, he's probably talking about, hey, they're going to be set free. I'm sure there's going to be some battles, some current battles. But man, when you read something like this, because it says these those slain by the Lord on that day, it sure seems like we're talking about the battle of Armageddon. And I understand you guys, like there's multiple historical battles that this could apply to. Okay. But when you're talking about they're not even going to be mourned, gathered, or buried, and then you hear things like in Revive School, one of our students, I love this, he said, did you know, I read an article that vultures, uh, and I don't know the timing, I think this was early 2000s when I saw this article, uh, that vultures are growing faster and faster at a rapid pace in Israel. And you have to wonder, are vultures going to be growing because there's going to be so many bodies at the battle of Armageddon that maybe they'll, they'll be able to feast on the flesh that nobody cares for? I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just trying to have an image here of like, it's going to be so drastic. These Gentile nations that are against God's people. And then he, and then he says, they'll be like manure. They'll be fertilizer, you guys, for the ground. A couple more images, just two more. Uh, again, this is judgment. First of all, he talked about the good figs and the bad figs. Bad figs is what's going to happen to his own people that don't turn to him. But then he says, hey, look, here's the Gentile nations and here's what's going to happen to you if you don't turn to me. Another image is in verse 34. He says that wail you shepherds and cry out, roll in the dust, you leaders of the flock, because the days of your slaughter have come. You will fall and become like shattered, become shattered like a precious vase. And here you have broken pottery. In verse 34. I mean, 23 years, you guys, you have to wonder, is Jeremiah just becoming that much more confident in what he hears from the Lord? I mean, you guys, wherever he walks, nobody likes this guy. Oh, hey, there's my buddy. No, I mean, I'm sure he has some guys that look out for him, the prophets that really are legit. But he's telling everybody, by the way, what's going to happen is, is you're going to be shattered. <laughs> and then finally, in verses uh, 34, really through 38, because we reference this, this whole flock part it says the days of your slaughter have come. So you're going to see the final image here is that you will see slaughtered flock. Right in 34 through 38. And it says the flight in verse 35, flight will be impossible for the shepherds and escape for the leaders of the flock. Hear the sound of the shepherds cry, the wail of the leaders of the flock, for the Lord is destroying their pasture. Peaceful grazing land will become lifeless because of the Lord's burning anger. He has left his den like a lion. And so here you have this, almost this image back to, you know, this roaring lion, this fierce lion. And and look what it says. He says, uh, this is a really powerful picture. He's left his den like a lion, for their land has become a desolation because of the sword of the oppressor, because of his burning anger. 
And so here you have, he's going to leap out and literally with no escape, judgment is coming to the Gentile nations. They don't have a, they don't have a chance. So here you have this message to the Jews. Hey, by the way, here's your punishment. You're getting 70 years in the Babylonian captivity, but I'm going to set you free. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you the righteous branch of David. I'm going to give you an out. But the Gentile nations, you experience me. And you take your pick, whichever one you think you like the best. Broken pottery where you're shattered. Cup of wrath that comes from the Lord. A wine press where you're going to be crushed. A roaring lion that's probably going to come and rip your head off. The refuse where you're spread like manure across the land because their bodies are so many. You take your pick. All I know is that he's prophesying judgment is coming. And it ain't pretty. So here you have Jeremiah 24, 25, and really, guys, and into 26. And in 26, you know what he does? He calls for repentance. We don't have time for that. We'll get into more of this tomorrow. Thank you for plowing through and digging into Jeremiah 24 and 25. Have a great day.